Our times make us wonder if the four horsemen are getting ready to ride. There is an unbreakable bond between God, Israel, and the prophetic events of the future. For here, in this land, the final confrontation between good and evil will be waged. Here, on the Megiddo Plains, the full measure of God's wrath and judgment will descend upon the planet. Here, upon the Mount of Olives, Christ will return in all of his glory. Welcome to Understanding the Times Radio with Jan Markell, Radio for the Remnant, brought to you by Olive Tree Ministries. Today, Jan begins a two-part series with two very special guests, Amir Sarfati and Pastor Barry Stagner. They are addressing many questions you may have about our future for both the believer and unbeliever. The hour is later than we think. The hand of the Lord was upon me. He brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the voice of the Lord. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath, and say to it, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Glad you can join me today for Understanding the Times Radio. That was a little tease. We're going to talk about a lot of topics this hour, and we'll open with some comments here about the rebirth of the nation of Israel. But we are carrying a new book co-authored by two folks that you all know very well, Bible teacher Amir Sarfati and Pastor Barry Stagner, Calvary Chapel, Tustin, California. But the book in front of me is Bible Prophecy, The Essentials, Answers to Your Most Common Questions. And we're going to tackle some of these common questions for the next two weeks. So this is part one of a two-part program. I think the thing I picked up quickly from the book, and there's so much to learn because there are over 70 questions that are tackled with wonderful answers, is the key to the eschatological calendar ahead of us most of us would agree, is the incredible rebirth of that nation of Israel, the most important sign of the last days. So we're going to look at that, but then we're going to move on to questions about the church, the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, the great white throne judgment, heaven, and then some additional questions as well. 
Obviously, that's a roadmap that we're going to be tackling a lot, but I have two such qualified gentlemen to answer these questions. Barry Stagner, welcome back to Understanding the Times Radio. Thank you, Jan. Great to be back with you. And Amir Sarfati. Shalom. Thank you. And shalom from Galilee. Yes. It's wonderful to be with you. Amir is in northern Israel. Barry Stagner, let me address this question to you. I picked up on it early on in the book, and that is that this rebirth of the nation of Israel, the key sign, is setting the stage for the end of the times of the Gentiles, Luke 21, 24. Why don't you explain to some of my audience who do not know or understand what the times of the Gentiles means? At the time of the Babylonian captivity in about 586 B.C., and the destruction of Jerusalem, the northern kingdom, 10 tribes had been in captivity with the Assyrians for some hundred years. Now with the southern kingdom of Judah moving out of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple in the city, and going out of the city limits for 70 years under the captivity that was prophesied by Jeremiah. This was the beginning of the time of the Gentiles that would span throughout the course of the church age where the predominantly Gentile church would be the main focus of the Lord as he began the church and added to it daily, Jews and Gentiles, Mm -hmm. but predominantly Gentiles. At the end of this time, at the end of the church age, God would return his focus to the nation of Israel exclusively, or at least primarily, and it would finish off the prophesied 70 weeks of Daniel. Now, there's some debate amongst good scholars as to whether the time of the Gentiles ends at the rapture of the church or at the second coming of Christ. But either way, you've got a small time frame in which the time of the Gentiles is going to end, and the focus will shift. God, his people that he has drawn back in and breathed life into those dry bones that your little clip was mentioning is going to be a time period where, again, the primary focus is the fulfillment of prophecy related to the nation of Israel. And I think as I'm studying things, and you have a whole section, we'll get to it here, on the tribulation The thing that's so obvious in the tribulation, at least to the three of us, is the tribulation is so Jewish. It's to save Israel. The focus is on Israel, the 144,000, etc. And we'll get there in our discussion. But Amir, let me ask you this, because this comes up early on in the book. And this is one of the questions. And what does it mean when the Bible says all Israel would be saved? Because some people, and we could even name them, use that as justification for this dual covenant theology. We don't need to witness to Jews because don't you see, Romans eleven twenty six says all Israel is going to be saved. So help my listeners understand that. Jesus himself said that no one can come to the Father but through him. Paul himself is also going all across the known world of that time for him, telling the people that Jesus is the only way, truth, and life. And therefore, To suggest that there is any other way is obviously to cancel the words of Jesus and what Paul was teaching all around. Now, when Paul was writing that all of Israel will be saved, this has to be attached to the return of Jesus to the land of Israel in his physical second coming. And to the fact that in Zechariah chapter 11, he says, and they looked at him whom they pierced and they cry and they mourn. The repentance of Israel when they see Jesus returning the acceptance of him as their Lord and Savior is the key for their salvation, is the only way for their salvation. So with Romans 11, I would also put Zechariah chapter 12, and I will definitely put them together because even here in Romans 11, when it says that, it talks about the fact that 
blindness in part has happened to Israel, which means that those who believe in him have their eyes open and those who don't have that veil on their eyes. But then it says in 2 Corinthians that the only way the veil can be removed is when they turn to Christ. That's what the Bible says. For them to be saved, for them to completely not be blind anymore is only by turning to Christ, which means there will come a point when all of Israel will be saved by believing and accepting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I think something we need to add here is that throughout that terrible time of Jacob's trouble, the tribulation, two-thirds of the Jews are going to perish, for which we get criticized for talking, but that's what the Bible says. Again, chapter 12, speaking about the return of Jesus, but chapter 13 of Zechariah talks about the fact that two-thirds will perish, and the last 30 will bring through the fire and refine them. So there's no doubt, look, even if you read the entire Olivet Discourse, you can see that there will be many, many Jewish people that will die in the tribulation. And for that sake, those days were shortened for them. But we also must remember that a lot of Jewish people will actually accept the Antichrist. I mean, how in the world will he be accepted and worshipped? And how in the world are we going to see the whole situation of two witnesses being ridiculed and then killed, and then the celebration of their death in the streets of Jerusalem, not in the streets of New York. It's in the streets of Jerusalem that the celebration of their death will be. There's no doubt that Israel is going to go through a terrible, dark time that two-thirds of them will fall into that trap of worshiping the wrong Messiah or the one that claims to be like the Messiah, the false one. And the last third are those that will say, no, he is not the one. We are not going to worship him. We will not bow down to the abomination of desolation. And to them, Jesus said, don't even go to pack, just run. Yeah. And they're going to flee to Petra. Petra is actually in Jordan, so it's not in Israel, it's in Jordan. Barry Stagner, I want to address this question to you, because when we talk about this topic, and we are going to move on, we're going to get to some church issues, tribulation, etc., And I've heard you preach, Barry, against this awful theology known as replacement theology. Let's just say we've got some listeners today who are in churches that are replacement theology, the teaching that the church is the new Israel. What would you advise them to do? Maybe the pulpit is sound other than that, though that's hard to believe because things are going to get upside down and backwards. But what would you advise somebody who's in a fairly decent church, but they are adherence to the church is the new Israel. The problem with that, and many of them, they teach the Bible, who hold the replacement theology, but they miss the heart of the whole last stage scenario. Because if you're wrong about your interpretation of Israel, you're going to be wrong about everything else that has to do with the last of the last days. And especially the book of Revelation, I think, as you mentioned at the outset, when you turn the corner in chapter six in Revelation, all the way through chapter 19, All the idioms, all the figurative language is all very Jewish, and it is related to the 70th week of Daniel, a time that was determined for Daniel's people and the holy city, which is obviously Jerusalem, Daniel's people being the Jews. But Jan, I think when you're taught something and the whole of your Christian experience is through the lens of replacement theology, I think there's just one question that has to be asked in the minds of those who are saying, hey, my church believes this. And that question, at least in my mind, is... If the church has replaced Israel, then why is everything that was prophesied about Israel in the last days 
happening right before our eyes. Oh. It just doesn't make any sense. I'm going to play a clip of you because in this little clip, you sum this up so well. We are getting close to the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need to be looking up because our redemption is nigh. Here's how we know this. Listen, this morning, if God was finished with the nation of Israel, there wouldn't be one. If God was finished with the nation of Israel, there wouldn't be one. And the nation of Israel is essential to the whole of eschatology. If you deny, misplace, or replace Israel, your whole prophetic interpretation is askew. And you can't understand scripture or determine what is being mentioned in this particular passage or another. And listen, just because God disciplines his people, even severely, doesn't mean he's done with them. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. He disciplines his church. Peter said that in 1 Peter 4, 17, that the time has come for judgment to begin where? The house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? Well, the end is not good, obviously. And listen, God is not finished with Israel. He has not cast off his people. And my comment to those who say modern Israel is not the Israel of the Bible is, then why is everything the Bible said would happen to Israel in the last days happening to Israel? I mean, some way that has to be explained. Who are these people? They speak the same language of the ancient Israelites. They live in the same geographic region as the ancient Israelites. They have genealogies dating back to the people of ancient Israel. They even share, and we have a huge advantage in our day, we can tell they share the same DNA with the ancient Israelites. And if they're not the Israel of the Bible, who are they? How can they not be the same people? They bear the same names, live in the same region, have uh, the eternal promise from God concerning the land and their descendants not being fulfilled, and yet they're not uh, the same nation. You're listening to Understanding the Times Radio. I'm Jan Markell. I'm so privileged to have on the line from Southern California, Pastor Barry Stagner, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Tustin, California, cctustin.org. He's also a host of the annual Proximity Prophecy Conference coming up on January 28th. We'll see more about that later. From Galilee, we have Amir Sarfati, founder of Behold Israel, prolific author, been at five of my conferences in the Twin City area, 2015 through 2019. And you can learn more at beholdisrael.org. Encourage you to follow him on Telegram. That is where he keeps all of you up to date. Now, I have in front of me their newest book, Bible Prophecy, The Essentials, Answers to Your Most Common Questions. There are over 70 questions. Obviously, we won't get to them all. We will get to some. Amir, let me direct this to you, and then I think we may move on to another topic. But a couple of things here. Do you feel, and I certainly do, but I'd like your input, please. Do you feel that the blessings and curses of Genesis 12, 3, this is one of the questions, apply to today? And I think that's pretty obvious. It probably does. Give me your thoughts. Well, obviously, I believe that, and you can clearly see that. The enemies of Israel of ancient times are gone and Israel is still here. Those who bless Israel are being blessed. Those who curse Israel are being cursed. It's a factual thing. You go look back in history, and you look at the current situation that we have today, and you see that this is definitely something that cannot be denied. I believe this is not something that can ever change. And now comes the point. As long as Israel is a nation before God, and as long as this world is as is, as long as the sun, the moon, and the stars exist. 
is Jeremiah 31 says, only when the moon and the sun and the stars will depart from him, then Israel will no longer stand as a nation before him. Until God makes new heaven and new earth, Israel is a nation set apart, and anyone that will touch Israel will touch the apple of God's eye. And God himself said, I am God, I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O Jacob. As long as God is there and he's faithful to his promises, Israel will stand despite of all the attempts to kill us and destroy us. And we're here to stay until he makes all things new. And then it's a new story. I'm going to play a clip of you, Amir, and it's a little longer than I normally play, but you sum things up so beautifully. You're going to be talking about an amazing time when Mark Twain visited the land, and that would have been the mid-1800s, and let's take it from there. In Matthew 24, after explaining what is going to happen to Israel during the tribulation, that is why he's talking to them about when you see the desolation, the abomination of desolation, pray that it's not going to be on the Sabbath day. Pray that it's not going to be in the winter. All of these warnings are for Israel during the tribulation and for the things that are going to happen in the courts of the temple that will be standing in Jerusalem. He's talking to the Jewish people about the future of Israel. But then he makes an amazing pause. And in Matthew 24, in those, in that cluster of verses, he says, he says, learn this parable from the fig tree when its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves. You know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. If you do not understand Israel, you cannot understand the times and the seasons. Because we were given the most important peace that will make everything come together so beautifully. There has to have been a physical restoration to the land of Israel. There has to have been something great. You see, for hundreds of years, Christians, or at least people who call themselves Christians, they saw that the Jews are no longer in their land, no longer speaking their language, no longer having their city, Jerusalem. So they said, ah, God must have replaced Israel with the church. God has forgotten all about Israel. Samuel Langhorn Clemens, known to you as Mark Twain, came to the land in um, 1867 and he published his impressions in Innocence Abroad. He described a desolate country devoid of both vegetation and human population. He, he saw the land and he says even the cactus that is a great friend of the desert didn't want to live there. Didn't grow there. He said, I couldn't even see one person. They tell us that the Jews came and there was filled with Palestinians. He was there in 1867. He says, I couldn't even find one. It's interesting because look at the quote of Mark Twain. He says in 1881 in London, he says, desolate country whose soil is rich enough, but is given over wholly to weeds 
a silent mournful expanse. A desolation is here that not even imagination can grace with the pomp of the life and action. We never saw a human being on the whole route. He said, there was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere. Even the olive and the cactus, those fast friends of the worthless soil had almost deserted this country. And, and look what the country looked like when the first Jews in the late 1800s started coming. Look, it was dead. You had to have a lot of faith to think that something can come out of it. And this is exactly in Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel saw it and he said, You, O mountains of Israel, shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people, Israel, for they are about to come. Barry Stagner, one of the things I took away from that little clip, and that was a mirror in one of his teachings, is if you don't understand the topic that we're discussing here, Israel's role, Israel's calling, etc., you cannot understand the times, which is you kind of referred to when you said if they're in a replacement theology church, they're going to be missing so much. But to miss out on this point of understanding the times and the seasons, you've got to understand this topic. You have to. Yeah, Jan. And as you mentioned, Genesis 12, 3, there's a little bit of an interesting side note regarding the choice of words that the Holy Spirit inspired Moses to put to the page. In that second phrase, it says, I will curse him who curses you. Hmm. There are two different Hebrew words used there for curse and curses. It's not a plural of the previous word. The first word means to curse bitterly. And the second word means to make light of the word curses. So the Lord says, I will bless those who bless you, speaking of Abraham and his descendants through Isaac and Jacob. And he says, I will curse bitterly those who make light of you. Looking at this whole idea that Israel has been replaced by the church is dangerous on multiple levels, mm -hmm. not the least of which is what you just mentioned, and that being having a problem interpreting a prophetic scripture. And again, talking about the fact that some 27% of the Bible is related to prophecy that's a good chunk of scripture that you're not going to be able to understand if you fail to see it through the lens of the nation of Israel. Then you wind up doing a lot of allegorizing and looking at things in a way that you're really forcing a personal interpretation into the text instead of taking the futurist view and looking at what it says. I'm addressing this to Amir. I think one of the theologies that has us so troubled and we all talk about it, and I reference it on this program, and that's amillennialism, because they spiritualize and allegorize everything. But gentlemen, at least half of my audience are in churches that teach amillennialism. Amir, what would you say to them? If the word thousand years is not a thousand years, and if the Bible says, and after the thousand years are over, then Satan will be released for a short time. If that's not implying that there is a thousand years, and he will be released right at the end of it, then I don't know what a thousand years means. The problem is that people feel threatened by God's relationship with Israel. This is something that I've noticed when I travel all around the world. It's almost like we cannot accept as believers somehow God's blessing upon people that are not yet believers. It, in their mind, Israel dropped the ball and now the church is the blessed ones. And how in the world can God continue to love and bless 
a nation that is not yet following him. And this is a mystery that they refuse to understand. God has a plan for them. God has a whole roadmap for Israel's salvation, which we read in Romans 11. Now, anti-Semitism exists today for the most part in countries that call themselves Christian. Go all the way to Asia and you won't find anti-Semitism. It's not there. They don't have this deeply rooted hatred towards the Jews because Israel has never been a threat to Hinduism or to Buddhism at all. But to Christians, from some strange reason, it has been a threat from day one. And that is exactly what Paul tried to address in Romans 11. And unfortunately, I don't understand how you can teach about not only replacement theology, but about the fact that God is no longer with Israel and everything else is allegorized. I don't know how you can teach portions of the Bible. Now, it's important that we see that they could sell all of this to their people until 1948. In 1948, they were greatly embarrassed. Can you imagine Christians who called Jesus their Lord and Savior were embarrassed by the rebirth of Israel? Why? Because it shattered everything they've been selling to their flocks for hundreds of years. Good point, Amir. I'm so glad you said that. We're basing our discussion today on the new book by Amir Sarfati and Barry Stagner, Bible Prophecy, The Essentials, Answers to Your Most Common Questions. And we're going to move on because the book covers questions related to Israel and then the church, the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, the great white throne judgment, heaven, and then some additional questions. We're not going to get to everything. We're going to be doing two programs this weekend and next weekend so we can cover a lot in the two programs. And what I want to do when we come back is head over to the church because we are in what's known as the church age that's actually going to wind down at the rapture of the church. But I have some specific questions I want to ask the gentleman about the church and particularly its last day's role. Barry Stagner, you have a conference coming up the end of January, Saturday, January 28th. Let's take a minute or two and talk about it. It's called Proximity. It's sponsored by Calvary Chapel Tustin. It's held Calvary Chapel East Anaheim. You take the rest and give it a promotion. And this is our eighth conference, and it's always exciting to get together. And super blessed that you'll be joining us this year via streaming. We're going to mix it up a little bit this year and do something we've not yet done. Normally, we have four teaching sessions on a Q&A. But what we're going to do this time is we're going to have two teaching sessions in the morning, one in the afternoon, and then we're going to do the lineup, the program I host every week. We're going to do a live current event updates, and then we'll follow that with our normal Q&A, which is a very popular session. If people want to join us, there's no cost to join online. If you want to come in person, you can go to cctustin.org and register there. If you'd like to join us online, go to either my personal YouTube page, which is just my name, or The Truth About God, or you can watch it on Behold Israel's YouTube channel under that name. We'd love to have you join and share. I think it's going to be an encouraging thing, especially as we're moving deeper into the age in which Israel became a nation again. Things are wrapping up quick, yeah. so our proximity to the rapture is closer every day. That'll begin at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, Saturday, January 28th. Amir will be there. Barry will be there. I'm going to be joining electronically. Gentlemen, I would like to take my midpoint break. And when I come back, I want to dive into some questions that's in the book, specifically about the church. You guys have addressed some very cutting edge issues. You've been talking a little bit about 
Our favorite topic, the New Apostolic Reformation. We're going to get to that, folks. I'm going to take a real brief time out. When I get back, we're going to continue talking about church issues. Well, what's kingdom now theology, and is it biblical? I don't think so. Should the predominantly Gentile church celebrate the Jewish feasts? We can talk about that as well. So we'll get to that in just a minute or two. Don't go away. I'm coming right back. This flicker of optimism proved short-lived, however, as the outbreak of World War II and the horrors of the Holocaust claimed more than six million Jewish lives. But when the war ended, unimaginable tragedy again turned to hope as the floodgates of history's greatest human migration miraculously opened. On May 14, 1948, after nine months of debate, the United Nations voted to recognize the new state of Israel. Billions of Jews from every continent joyously poured back into their ancestral homeland. Their ravaged country was rebuilt and against all odds, Israel existed as a Jewish nation. Many considered this the greatest fulfillment of biblical prophecy since the birth of Christ. Well, that was just a little P.S. to the first half of the program, because indeed, the most incredible miracle of all time, some people say that's the greatest miracle of the 20th century, I'd say of all time, is the rebirth of Israel back to their original language, etc., let me give a quick heads up here that we have an Understanding the Times event this Thursday, January the 19th, and that's at Revive Church in Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. We'll be having Brandon Holthouse. We're going to be talking about a lot of current events. You can live stream it around the world, markhenryministries.com, markhenryministries.com, or on Mark's app. Again, if you'd like to attend in person, no cost. It's 7849 West Broadway, Brooklyn Park. I'll co-host. Pastor Mark Henry will co-host. If you want to live stream it anywhere, it's 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time, January the 19th. Pastor Brandon Holthouse, Mark Henry, and myself. Now, I want to move quickly into another topic from the book, Bible Prophecy, The Essentials. And we're going to talk about the church, at least for a few minutes here. Barry, we are currently in what's known as the church age. The church age has a shelf life, and the three of us believe that time is running out for the church. By the way, the church is not a building. It's a body of believers that will be taken to heaven very soon. What I'm noticing, though, is the church is not handling, many churches, not handling the topics well that we're dealing with, including the rapture, and we're going to get to that here a little bit later. It's being mishandled so terribly. It's a tragedy in my lifetime to see the blessed hope go towards more of the blasted hope. Your thoughts on this? It is, Jan, because it does, as you said, it removes one of the major components in dealing with perilous times that Paul prophesied, and that is having a hope just that this is a temporary situation that we're dealing with, the godlessness and the form of godliness and the lovers of self and all those things that Paul said in Second Timothy 3 one through five, without a blessed hope, you're muddling through and surviving instead of thriving. And that, I think, is one of the great tragedies of diminishing the rapture of the church to some type of 
human concoction that was thought up a century ago, instead of what you described it, that Paul talked about in Titus. It is the blessed hope, that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And looking at the fact that so many want to avoid controversy, because for the unsaved, as 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural man cannot discern the things of God because they're spiritual. So you start talking about a mass disappearance of humans in the numbers of hundreds of millions, hopefully more. There's people that are going to shake your head, but hey, it's what the Bible teaches. Mm -hmm. And I love what Amir says. He didn't learn about the rapture from John Nelson Darby. He learned about it from Paul because it's in the scripture. Amir, let me ask you a couple of questions here as it concerns the church. And I gave a little tease, first part of the program. Should the predominantly Gentile church be celebrating the Jewish feast days? The problem that we have with this question is, what is your purpose in celebrating? Because if the purpose in celebrating the festivals is to feel that you are better than if you're not, and to then be worth of your salvation, then it's the wrong attitude, of course. If you want to celebrate in light of the fact that Jesus has fulfilled them, and that they are not a mean toward salvation, but a memorial for at least the first four of things that happen, then it's great. But whenever people tell me that, hey, I don't celebrate this, but I do celebrate that, you can tell by even the tone of their speech that they put so much weight and emphasis on the festivals that it become a god on its own. And that always takes me to how God was not happy with what Israel turned his festivals into. And I'm talking about Isaiah chapter 1. It's nice to celebrate the festivals. It's great to remember Jesus in the festivals. But I also think that if you believe that by celebrating the festivals, it will make you a better Christian, and by celebrating the festivals, it will lead you towards salvation, then you got the whole gospel wrong. There is a big danger of the Jewish roots that is almost telling people that without that, you cannot be saved. That without that, you are not a true, complete believer. That you are not at the intellectual, spiritual level if you don't do those things. We have to be very careful. I have to remind everyone of Acts chapter 15. It is Peter in Jerusalem standing and trying to explain what happened when the first church council was about whether Gentiles should be circumcised and keep the law. Peter himself said, why are we trying to put on the Gentiles all those things that our fathers and us can barely carry? He says, we should believe just like they do. Peter understood that salvation is by grace through faith alone and not by works. And he was concerned that when Judaizers are following Paul and telling people after Paul left, hey, just remember, you have to be circumcised. You have to keep the law. You have to celebrate this or do that. Peter was concerned that we are trying to put on the Gentiles the very thing we as a nation, the Jews, cannot fulfill and bear. It starts with your intention. What is it that you want to celebrate these festivals for? You see, as a family, I celebrate them, but I celebrate them with Jesus in the center. Yes. I just lit the Hanukkah menorah for us. Jesus is the light of the world. End of story. Oh, I don't think that the Maccabees were the saviors of Israel. I don't think that they are the redeemers of Israel. And we are not singing those songs that suggest that. 
there are approximately 70 questions in this book. You can find it in my online store, by the way, olivetreeviews.org, olivetreeviews.org, Bible Prophecy, The Essentials. Obviously, we can't get to all the essentials. I'm doing my best to get to some of the high points. Perry Stagner, I think that the falling away, and the three of us believe the falling away is the falling into great apostasy, which is predicted for the end-time church, quite frankly, Laodicea. What troubles me just as much as some of the false teachings, we've kind of touched on this in the previous half hour, is the falling away from teachings on eschatology, the importance of Israel, the importance of spiritual warfare, as we see the paranormal exploding, and the further promotion of replacement theology. These four issues trouble me as much as just giving very little heed to sound doctrine. Would I be stretching things to say that? I don't think so, Jan, and we're learning more and more about this and the broadness of that statement, the apostasia, the defection from truth. We're seeing it outside of the realm of Scripture today as well, which I do believe it began there. Truth today is malleable. Whatever it is for you, that's great. We've got the whole man-woman debate thing going on, and you can become whatever it is you think or feel like on any particular day or even occasion. We've taken that same kind of approach with the scripture that what's your truth? What does this mean to you? And really, when we interpret scripture, it's not what does it mean to you? It's what does it mean? Because it's not going to mean one thing to one person and something else to another. We're seeing manifestations of this in all kinds of ways. And this apostasia is the defection from truth. It's not the rapture of the church. Because we can interpret that through what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, there's a time coming where men will not put up with sound doctrine. That's a defection from truth. So we're seeing that and the repercussions or consequences of it on every level. And I don't think it's a stretch at all to throw all that under that umbrella of the defection from truth. I get so many emails, I can't deal with them all. I'm looking for a church that will talk about times we live in, talk about how eschatology ties into the current events of the day. 95% of those that write say we can't find that kind of a church in our town. Barry, while I have your attention, let me ask you this. This is one of the questions in the book. Are today's proliferation of dreams and visions valid? And let me add my own thoughts. If they are, some are abusing these so-called gifts because they are experiential Christians, and they're looking more for experience than they are for the Bible. But I do believe you feel these dreams and visions are very valid. Absolutely. Joel spoke of that time where there'll be dreams and visions, and he's obviously talking Mm -hmm. to the nation of Israel. But I don't think we can limit the moves of the Holy Spirit to whatever our parameters may be, because as Amir mentioned earlier, John 6, 44, no man comes unless the Father who sent me draws him. And we're hearing about the place where the church is growing faster than anywhere else in the world. In Iran, people are having dreams about Jesus. They're seeing visions of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And when you've got a country where the missionary can no longer put their feet on the ground. The Lord isn't just going to say, oh, well, too bad. He's going to, because of his unwillingness that any should perish, he's going to reach out to them through means that are going to reveal who he is to them. When we look at it or want to interpret every dream that we have, instead of eating pizza too late at night, being the source of the dream, when we want that experiential Holy Ghost goosebump type of thing, That's where I think we get into trouble, because if you look at the gifts of the Spirit, they're all for the edification of the church. They can be for the edification of the saint individually as well, but none of them are going to contradict the Word of God. 
whatever it is, it's going to end up leading people to Jesus. If you're a believer, it's going to lead you to his word. If you're a non-believer, it's going to lead you to his word, which is Jesus. He is the word of God. But the hyper aspect of this is what we need to beware of. Yeah, that's my only point. You can reach Barry Stagner at cctustin.org, Calvary Chapel, Tustin, California. Follow his YouTube outreach, The Truth About God. You can look up the lineup. Amir, you can reach him at beholdisrael.org. And follow him on Telegram. That's where he posts daily insights from a Christian perspective that you won't get many other places. Amir, I want to talk just for a moment here about a theology, because we're on the church, that troubles you and I greatly. We see things around us crumbling, politics, culture, marriage and family issues, trans movement, and yet there's a teaching called Kingdom Now Theology that the church is going to correct all of these issues. And we're talking about the church for this segment. The New Apostolic Reformation stresses that we can have heaven on earth. Give me your thoughts here on the church stepping out and perfecting the world before Jesus comes. Look at how the world is today, and they're not that successful, are they? Our world is getting darker and darker by the second. And I would like to address the issue also of the fact that a lot of people are claiming that we might have to go through the tribulation or at least part of the tribulation. They say that only because it looks like this man could be the Antichrist, that man could be the Antichrist. So it's very easy to start pointing fingers and identifying things. The problem is that their whole perception of the end time is so wrong that this is when they start making up things that are not scriptural. In this Kingdom Now theology, this is exactly what they're doing. There is no place in the Bible that says that the church will prepare this world in order for Jesus to come over here. Jesus said that he is going to come and receive us to himself, so where he is, we will be also. Not that we will prepare the place for him, so where we are, he will be also. It is obvious that this world is not our place. It is obvious through scriptures in Second Thessalonians that we must be taken out of the way in order for the Antichrist to be revealed. And it is obvious that Antichrist and this whole world will be judged when Christ is coming back with us. And behold, he comes and his saints are coming with him in Zechariah 14. And this is the ushering of the millennial kingdom, even as the Old Testament suggests. I think that there is a hunger and thirst among many Christians to feel that we can be setting the tone in this world. Well, it's partially based on wishful thinking, and partially I think yeah. it's also demonic. And the reason is this. Look, there is no doubt in my mind that we need to be workers of righteousness. I'm not saying give up and let the world fall apart. As long as we're here, we need to be about a father's business. As long as we're here, we need to proclaim the gospel and be workers of righteousness. But at the same time, the Bible is telling us that this is not our home, this is not our place, that he's preparing a place for us, and that he's coming back to receive us unto himself. And this is exactly why Revealing Revelation was written, to explain to people the difference between what's going on in heaven while the tribulation is going on on earth. And this is what we're answering in Bible Prophecy, The Essentials. Everything that has to do with the tribulation on earth is not 
with the church. So either the Kingdom Now Theology teachers never read the book of Revelation, or they decided that it's so allegorical that they can skip it, and in the day-to-day -day interpretation of it, it doesn't mean anything. And it's very, very sad. I will say the last thing is that I've seen church leaders from all over the world basically grooming Israeli messianic leaders to become the new apostles. I saw videos of crowning people with crowns on their head. When we call it New Apostolic Reformation, it's really physically talking about new apostles, people that are going to be pronounced as apostles. And they must be Jews. They must be from in Jerusalem. And they will have the same importance and level of the first century apostles. Let me remind you, the first century apostles wrote the Bible. Yeah. So how can they be at the same place? How can we have it? Obviously, it's not scriptural. Obviously, Satan, I believe it's demonic. And I do believe with all of my heart that it's all rooted in the sheer Bible illiteracy that is existing in our church today. And this is why we travel and teach the Bible. Barry Sagner, you include a question here in the book, Bible Prophecy, The Essentials. You ask if some of the heresies and false teachings that are so prolific in the church today, if that is all prophetic. I think that's almost a rhetorical question, because indeed, these things are predicted. They're going to depart from sound doctrine. There'll be wolves among the flock. Absolutely, Jan. And that's, I think, probably the most important reason for us to be students of the Scripture and to mm -hmm. be in a Bible-teaching church, because as Amir said, there's nothing in Scripture that indicates the church is going to have a dominance in seven areas or seats of power in order for Jesus to come back, nor is there anything in Scripture that tells us there's going to be another batch of apostles and last days prophets. If we would just study the Scripture, Matthew 11 tells us that John the Baptist was the last prophet in the sense of an Old Testament office. Hebrews tells us in 1.1, that God in time past spoke to the fathers through the prophets, but in these last days has spoken to us through his son. Again, if you just let the scripture speak for itself and let scripture interpret scripture, you're going to be able to defend yourself from these aberrant teachings and all the tentacles that are attached to that, the world getting better and yeah, better yeah. and all these other things. Looking at all the things we're facing today reminds us that we are in days as they were in the days of Noah. There's just an indifference to the increasing signs of God's impending judgment and all the other business usual attitude and the defection from truth in the church. Uh, it's just an incredible time to be alive. And everything that the Bible said would happen when our redemption is nigh is happening right now. So the book is going to go on and they're going to be asking questions about the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium heaven. These are some basic practical questions, again, found in this new book, which we carry in our store, get on our newsletter lists, E in print. So this is part one of a two-part program. We're going to continue this next week. Gentlemen, this is just a little off topic, simply because we don't have time to tackle one of the other prominent subjects that you have included in the book. So I'm going to ask you a question here. Amir, this again, a little off topic. And I think you feel that one of the next events in eschatology that could break any day would be Isaiah 17, the obliteration of Damascus. Am I right there? Yes, you're right. Because if we are talking about Ezekiel 38, 
all the time in the days of Ezekiel and the war that is coming. We have to remember in Ezekiel 38 and 39, Syria is not mentioned. Damascus is not mentioned. Something has to happen to one of the greatest enemies of Israel today not to exist in the big war that comes right after. And that is, I believe that Isaiah 17 speaks of an event that will lead eventually to the Ezekiel war. And let's face it, in Damascus today, you have almost everything but Syria influence. You have Iran and you have Turkey and you have Russia, all influencing in different realms and different ways. And the power and the strength of the Syrian president is almost not there. So when we talk about the fall of Damascus, we're actually talking about something that has to come before the alliance of Ezekiel 38 comes against Israel. And look, I live next to an airbase here in Israel that airplanes are taking off every few days, and they don't drop bombs in Tehran or in Moscow or in Ankara. They drop bombs all around and in Damascus, because this is what we're dealing with on a daily basis. I have no problem seeing that happening in the near, very near future, and that will, of course, start an escalation that will lead to the Ezekiel War. And let me ask a follow-up question then, please. Again, a little bit off topic from the book, but do you think in 2023 there could be, and I need kind of a concise answer here because of time, do you think there could be an Israeli strike or strikes in Iran against her nuclear capability? I just wrote about it on Telegram. I think that we do not have any other choice with what we know that the Iranians are doing right now and what they have already now. If we do not do it this year, we will have to live with them having not only a bomb, but having already the means to send the bomb. And that is something that Israel cannot live with. All I say is that everything that is happening in Ukraine is showing to the world, to the Americans and to the Europeans, that Iran is a troublemaking country. We can see what is the biggest headache in Ukraine right now. It's the Iranian drones and the Iranian weapon that is supplied to the Russians. I think we need to remind my audience that a strike against Iran will be anything like the ordeal when Israel took out Iraq's single nuclear capability in 1981. I think one person on the ground was killed. If they do go after multiple sites in Iran, the world will go into an outrage over Israel doing the world a favor. Am I right? Think about if if Saddam would have had a nuclear reactor working and nuclear weapon, what would have happened to the American troops in 1991? There's no doubt that we will do the whole world, and especially the Middle East, a big favor in removing Iran's nuclear capability. But again, remember, Iran has built side by side with nuclear capability. They also built armies of proxies all around the Middle East that will serve them in times like this so they don't have to put their hands in the mud. So Hezbollah and the Houthis and all their proxies in Syria and, of course, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, all of them will probably react to any Israeli action in Iran. It's going to be ugly. Hey, if it has to happen, it has to happen. Okay, folks, this is part one of a two-part program. Next week, we're going to hit part two, and we'll try to include basic questions about the rapture, the tribulation, the millennium, heaven, and if there's time, we might get to a few more topics as well. All of this found in the new book by Barry Stagner and Amir Sarfati, 
Bible Prophecy, The Essentials, Answers to Your Most Common Questions. They do a lot of question and answer online, and that's where they've taken some of these questions from. And I encourage you to follow these gentlemen online. Barry Stagner, you can just look him up on YouTube, Barry Stagner, or the lineup, The Truth About God. And of course, Mir Safadi, again, BeholdIsrael.org. Find him, YouTube, Facebook, all the various places. Again, quick reminder, next Thursday evening, January 19th, 7 to 9 p.m. Central Time, Understanding the Times here in the Twin Cities with Pastor Brandon Holthouse, Mark Henry, yours truly. And again, you can watch that live at markhenryministries.com or the Mark Henry app. Be posted to olivetreeviews.org under video a few days later. Folks, I'm going out of this program I'm looking forward to next week where we continue the discussion. And let me just say this. These times prove again the reliability of the Bible. We were never promised that life during end time events would be easy. But the same God who told us about these things thousands of years in advance also promises to keep and protect those who have placed themselves in his hands. Won't you say with the psalmist, I know sometimes it's tough, looking at headlines and major stories coming across the news feeds. Say with the psalmist, I trust in you, O Lord. Our times are in your hands. I want to thank you for listening, and we'll continue on with part two next week. Contact us through our website, olivetreeviews.org. That's olivetreeviews.org. Call us Central Time at 763-559-4444. That's 763-559-4444. We get our mail when you write to Olive Tree Ministries and Jan Markell, Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. That's Box 1452, Maple Grove, Minnesota, 55311. All gifts are tax deductible. The world is not spinning out of control because God is always in control. You are engraved on the palm of his hand. Instead, all of the orchestrated events are breaking so that everything can fall into place. Yeah.